You're on EducateForLife.com radio with Kevin Conover. And if you listen long enough, your faith will become... I'm tired of being conned. Don't worry, the con is over, see? We're now at DEFCON 1. Did you say carnivore or carnivore? Would you like to have a conversation with Kevin? Then call 800-243-9719. And now, here's your host, Kevin Conover. Bring your time and bring your shame. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website is educateforlife.org. Last Saturday, if you uh, tuned in last Saturday, I had Dr. Marcus Ross, a paleontologist on the program. We talked about the evidence from the fossil record supporting the biblical historical record. And today, my guest is archaeologist Dr. Doug Petrovich. We're going to be talking about recent groundbreaking discoveries in archaeology demonstrating that Joseph and Moses and others in the Bible were real people, not mythical characters in mythical stories. Before I bring uh, Dr. Petrovich on the air, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about him. He was formerly the academic dean and professor at Novosibirsk Biblical Theological Seminary. That's in Siberia, Russia. His interests include biblical exegesis, biblical history, Egyptology, ancient Near East, Eastern history, including archaeology, epigraphy, if I said that right, iconography, and he is also a contributor to the Associates for Biblical Research, which if you've been listening to my show for any amount of time, I did have uh, not too long ago Dr. Scott Stripling on from the Associates for Biblical Research, as well as a, a couple other archaeologists. So, Dr. Petrovich, thank you so much for being on the air with us today. My pleasure, Kevin. It's great to be with your listeners. Yeah, now I was made aware of um, what, you're, what you're doing um, through the movie that recently came out, Is Genesis History, um, was the number one movie for a, a single day. It came out in theaters for one day, and uh, you got to work with Del Tackett and uh, some other people. Uh, how was that for you? Uh, it was a fantastic experience. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's an extremely important book uh, or, or film um, that really spawned from a question that our director and producer, his daughter, uh, had about um, the events in Genesis, you know, as to whether they're historical. And she asked her dad, and he couldn't really answer for her. So um, that launched his quest to learn uh, what were the answers, and what kind of uh, evidence do we have that can confirm whether or not uh, the early chapters, especially in Genesis, are historical? So that that launched uh, the entire project that's gone on for a couple of years, um, and um, we had some uh, phenomenal uh, scientists who participated in it. It was great to be a part of it as the archaeologist, and uh, we're even looking forward to uh, in June in Nashville there will be a conference that uh, that's being put on for those of us who participated in the in the film and uh, for anybody who wants to come. That's fantastic. I love it. I I'm so excited. When I found out that uh, this film was being produced, I just uh, was so excited. Um, I think it's uh, incredible, and I love um, how you guys are providing all this evidence. And you recently authored a book, "The World's Oldest Alphabet." Is that correct? That is absolutely right. Yes. Now, what? Um, give us a little bit of background from for you. Um, I, I don't think I've had anybody on the air so far that's from Russia. Are you originally from Russia? 
No, I'm actually originally from Akron, Ohio, of Serbian descent. Okay. And I lived, yeah, I lived in Russia for 10 years. We were invited there by a, uh, a Christian denomination in Russia. Uh-huh. It has, uh, well, at the time, about 1,600 churches. And they invited us to go and found a seminary in the center of the country, geographically, from east to west. There's, it's 11 time zones wide, so we went right to the middle, so students can come from all directions. And... Um, after 10 years there, we trained uh, many future and well current pastors now, and uh, the best of the best, we trained a little bit extra, and they took over for us, so we basically worked ourselves out of a job and uh, turned it over to them, and now they're running it all, and they're finishing uh, their doctoral degree, so it's very exciting to see. Wow. What was, uh, what was one of the biggest things you learned or, or one of the most exciting parts of uh, being in Russia and being a part of what went on there, what what was uh, how was that for you? Well, it was a tremendous challenge because the Russian people, especially in the eastern part of Russia where we were in Asia, they have a different mindset than the average Western person and the average person from North America. So the biggest challenge was not only learning the language, which was a very difficult language, but also to um, to get down into the heart level of the people, because um, it's a challenge with that. In the time of communism, they were um, suppressed, they were harassed, especially Christian believers. And um, because their their lives and their faith were at stake, they were very careful and very guarded with what they would say mm. to anyone. Yeah. So we had to learn to be, um, you know, we had to learn what it takes to get inside their hearts and their minds. Uh, for number one, to understand what they're thinking and how they think, which is different than we do, and number two, um, for really being able to resonate with, you know, what uh, what was going inside of them and how we could help them. So uh, that was the biggest challenge uh, that we faced, and you know, because of that, Russians are are very closed people for the most part mm. um, until you find a way into their hearts and uh, and 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 yet at the same time, they're extremely hospitable people very warm and caring. So it was, it was a fantastic experience for our family and, uh, and the ministry that we were a part of. That's great. Now, how did you get interested personally in archaeology? Uh, is that something you, you knew growing up that you were interested in, or what, what happened? How did you um, move into that? And, and can you give us a little bit of background as, as far as your Christian faith also in that regard? As far as my uh, Christian background, Kevin, um, I became a Christian when I was in junior high, basically— um, I started asking all the important questions in life, such as, um, you know, is God real? Um, what is the purpose of life? Um, what happens at the end of life? You know, all these kinds of questions were just plaguing me. And um, it really, it was the, I'd grown up in the church, but it was the life of the junior high pastor in the church where I was attending that really changed everything for me. And he was a, a very godly man. He would spend his um, vacations on the East Coast uh, sharing the gospel and and talking to people about the Lord. And um, in his life, I saw someone living out um, the kind of joy, the kind of peace, the kind of contentment, and the kind of purpose that I wanted in life. So God kind of used that um, in the midst of asking all these questions to to bring it all to a head. And, you know, it was, it was at that time that I uh, became a believer. And that really leads me into your other question about uh, how I got into archaeology. 
one of my junior high teachers at the public school that I was attending had a love for two things that was just above and beyond everything else he taught, which was uh, geology and history. And I just embraced those same fields that he loved. And I remember uh, he gave us a really difficult World War II exam of six pages front and back, and I didn't miss anything on it. It was 100 percent. And that's when I knew history was for me. So when I became a Christian and then really started to study the Bible more, God brought together this love for the Bible and this love for history. And because the Bible's just dripping with history in it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was just a very natural uh, connection for me. So um, then, you know, into the into the 80s, I um, read a lot of uh, articles on biblical archaeology. And so I kind of got into it that way. Um, since then, I've been a part of two digs, one in Israel at a, at a site called Hatzor. It's the largest Canaanite city of the second millennium BC and uh, in Canaan. And then um, a site in ancient Syria or, or southeastern Turkey that was connected to the PhD program at, at the University of Toronto that I was a part of. So I was um, digging at a site that's about an hour away from the city of biblical Antioch, if you're familiar with that. Okay. Now, did you, when you were on these digs, was any, uh, were there any significant finds? Well, we didn't find anything that really would make the headlines. Um, in our square, my partner and I found a very small but important Egyptian scarab at Hatsor. I remember that. Um, oh, but I can tell you this, actually, um, with, with the dig that uh, was connected to the University of Toronto at a site called Tel Kayanat, we actually, during the years that I was there, we excavated a temple that is what's called a tripartite temple, so it exists in three parts. And it's the exact model after which Solomon had the first temple built. Wow, that's and so interesting. So, uh, my, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, my, my guest today uh, is Dr. Doug Petrovich, and he is an archaeologist. He just recently wrote a book, The World's Oldest Alphabet. And this stuff is so interesting to me. Uh, we're going to look into um, some discoveries that relate to Joseph and Moses as well as um, Asenath, I believe is how you pronounce it. Maybe that's, I could be off there. But um, that Dr. Petrovich has been involved with, and we're going to learn all kinds of amazing stuff. So stay with us. This is going to be a fantastic interview. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. What do leading local restaurants have in common? They depend on Express Fix Coffee for new and used coffee and espresso machines, repairs, and affordable monthly service. Dave Martin and his local team provide water filtration services too. Call San Diego's best espresso repair company, serving your home and business. Learn more online at expressfixcoffee.com. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. 619-867-3853. How can you live in San Diego and miss out on enjoying the water? 
Fast Lane Kayaking sells popular Hobie Cat kayaks that you pedal, not paddle. That means your hands are left free for fishing and fun. Just throw these on your roof rack. They're light and they're easy to use and maintain. Just rinse them off. Try one free on a demo ride. For 36 years, Ron and Debbie Lane have served San Diego with fun, family-friendly water sports of all kinds. Learn more. FastLaneSailing.com. 619-222-0766. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 730 to 530, and Saturdays, 730 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. I will cast my cares on you, you're the anchor of my hope, the only one who's in Thanks for listening today. This is Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. You can pick up a recording of this show or previous shows. And I've uh, got all kinds of uh, interviews with amazing people. My guest today is Doug, Dr. Doug Petrovich, and he is an archaeologist. Recently wrote, wrote a book, The World's Oldest Alphabet, which is available for purchase. Uh, you can check that out. Where can, they, where can they pick that up, Dr. Petrovich? Actually, uh, the only, it's going to be on Amazon shortly, but right now the only place to get it is directly through my publisher in Israel, in Jerusalem, called Carta, C-A-R-T-A. So if you go to Carta's website you can um, order the book there. Okay, and um, so, so you've looked at um, some really ancient history uh, uh, way back in time here, and when you were involved with the, the uh, movie Is Genesis History, uh, what were they a- asking you to confirm um, from an archaeological perspective, and why did they choose those subjects? Well, basically they confined their questions to, um, you know, for me, for my part, to... Um, uh, is there historical evidence that can verify that the narrative in Genesis 11, as it relates to the Tower of Babel and all those events, is there any way of confirming that this is true history? Okay, and what, what, what did you find? Now, for our listeners, if you don't know, the Tower of Babel, of course, is uh, after Noah's flood, and it's where everybody comes to, uh, well, everybody's speaking one language, and then God comes down and says, hey, these, they're doing the wrong thing here, and he splits the languages up and separates people. Um, so so what, what, what was your answer to them? Well, uh, certainly there's nothing that we can say as far as providing evidence for a physical language uh, change in people's voices. Uh, that, that goes beyond what archaeology can do. But I just happened to uh, study a year-long course on the archaeology of Mesopotamia in my Ph.D. program, Hmm. and that was a phenomenal study for me. And in that study, um, I actually wrote a paper that compared and contrasted two what we call expansions of people, outward in both cases, from Mesopotamia. And both of these expansions predate the, what we call the historical period or the advent of writing. So certainly the Tower of Babel had to have been, um, had to have taken place, if it's as historical as I believe it is, had to have taken place before writing began. That being true, there are only two movements of people outward from Mesopotamia that document um, 
this this movement that they had, which was different than trading, very different. Actually, the people themselves moved outward. So in my paper, I compared those two expansions of people, and I wanted to see if they were similar or different. And sure enough, they were extremely different. The first expansion, it was always friendly. Whenever they went out, the people moved out from there. If if there was a if they were going to move to where there was already a, a community that was living, they would integrate immediately and smoothly with those people. Um, they had very few uh, sites on virgin soil that they built when they moved outward from Mesopotamia. Well, the second expansion is just the opposite. If they encountered um, local people and they wanted to live where somebody else was living, they did one of two things. They either completely destroyed them, such as the case with a site in ancient Syria called Hamukar, or they would um, settle at the same site but live in um, their own area, including their own workshops, their own um, public buildings, their own garbage heaps. So this was the first example in history we have of segregated living, and it took place right at the very moment of the what's called the Uruk expansion. And this expansion took place right before the advent of writing. So it's the next archaeological period, what's called the Jemdet Nasser period, after the late Uruk period, when writing begins in Mesopotamia. Now that's so, just, let me ask you a question about that. So sure. what evidence do you have, or how, how can you be so confident that uh, this happened prior to um, writing taking place or, or written history taking place? How, uh, how do you well, how do you figure that, that out? Yeah, that's a great question, Kevin. And and basically, um, because we have no example anywhere in the ancient world of a universal language that is in codified form that has writings in it. So if if writing predated the Tower of Babel, then we would have that common universal language. Um, kind of scattered over at different places mm. and you know it would be attested in you know by many different cultures. Now we what about what about um places like China and other places? I mean I mean this you're talking about this predates even that it, the Chinese writing and so forth? Yes, in fact Chinese writing is not quite as old as many people would think. It only dates back to roughly 1500 BC. Um whereas the later expansion is commonly dated to about uh uh, 3200 BC to 3000 BC. I actually, uh, and this is a long discussion that would in, require me to answer why, but I would date it to about 2650 BC. Mm. Now I've I've read that Mesopotamian cuneiform is the oldest language in the world, dating uh, you know somewhere around 5000 years ago or so. Is that accurate or or no? Yes, uh, cuneiform writing is definitely the oldest script, the oldest. Um, style of writing or, or writing system that we have. And of course, you can write many different languages with cuneiform script, um, but it, its oldest form goes back to the Jemdet Nasser period in, the, in southern Mesopotamia, in what the, you know, the place the Bible calls the land of Shinar. It's called Sumer by ancient historians, and that's where um, writing uh, began. Oh, that's very interesting. And so this is a little bit off track, but it may it's got a little bit of crossover here, this question, but from an evolutionary perspective, you know, dealing with the movie is Genesis history and so forth, uh, according to evolutionary scenarios, people have been here for around 200,000 years, and yet we don't have writing 
um, you're you're saying from archaeology, the evidence says we only have writing for about five thousand years or so. Uh, it, it, how do people? Is there crossover between archaeologists talking about archaeology and evolutionists talking about evolution? Is there? Do you see any? Uh, you know, because there's obviously a conflict there. Well, and and ultimately, Kevin, that points to a problem that we have um, in uh, scholarly fields. Um, for example, uh, epigraphers, those who, uh, like I do, deal with ancient writings, and archaeologists are often on very different pages, mm-hmm. and they're not really communicating well or thoroughly with each other. Uh, part of that is scholarly pride. Part of it is uh, differences and uh, different interests. But really, if you have uh, people of various fields getting together and working with each other, I think we're going to come up with some amazing breakthroughs in the future. And and what you're pointing to is, you know, a similar problem between linguists and uh, and ancient historians. And because there's not enough dialogue, there's not enough communication, there's not enough working together in in unison. Um, we we can't really. Um, understand as much as we otherwise could if, if, if that were to take place. So mm-hmm. um, that's, that's the problem that you're alluding to. And, um, and ultimately, yes, some of those problems can be solved. Do you foresee um, a greater uh, kind of working together in the future? Do you think that's going to happen based on, uh, you know, technology and so forth? I think it's going to happen for certain within uh, the Christian, uh, the area of study that relates to to Christians who are involved in uh, the sciences and in history and and so forth, um, because we are starting to see the need to um, to work together. So, for example, I'm trying to work together with some geologists and some anthropologists to be able to work on issues that can solve questions that have long existed you know, that, that connect our fields together. So yes, I think that day is, um, you know, we're arriving already at that day and it's going to get better. That's great. That's really good news. Well, uh, my guest today is Dr. Doug Petrovich and he is an expert, uh, in languages and in, uh, he's an archeologist. He recently published a book, the world's oldest alphabet. You can get that from Carta, the publisher in Israel. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, um, some recently published discoveries, uh, regarding the Hebrew language as being the world's oldest alphabetic script. Uh, we'll also talk about three biblical figures, Asenath, I believe. Am I pronouncing that right, Dr. Petrovich? Asenath. Mm-hmm. Uh, Asenath, okay. Moses and mm-hmm. some others on inscriptions that date between 1842 and 1446 B.C. Stay with us. Very, very interesting stuff validating uh, the historical record that's written down in the Bible. We'll be right back. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart. Hi, this is Kevin Conover. Will you please donate to Educate for Life so we can share the truth of God's Word with kids in public schools? You can donate online at donate2efl.org. The Bible used to be read in public schools on a regular basis prior to the 1960s. But today, most kids are completely clueless when it comes to the content and the historical and scientific accuracy of the Bible. Please help us by donating online at donate2efl.org. Hi, this is Jason Hall, President 
president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teachings. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Hi, I'm Marissa Conover, and I would love to help you buy or sell your home. I've worked as a realtor for more than 13 years, and as a San Diego native, my passion and experience will help make your move as peaceful as can be. Call me at 619-251-1577. That's 619-251-1577. Or visit Conover homes.com this is throughout all ages ministry with joe and stacy we would like to equip you to share the gospel with confidence in a biblical and effective way we would like to teach you through the proclamation of the gospel whether you're the skeptic god who created you said that he has made himself known to you so that you are without excuse one-on-one evangelism how do you think you can get to heaven never really thought about it but i've always thought of you know doing good for more information go throughout all ages.com like us on facebook or visit us at youtube at throughout all ages i'm giving it all away no more hiding no more stalling i hear you calling me thanks for tuning in to educate for life i'm your host kevin conover my website is educateforlife.org and my guest today is dr doug petrovich we're talking about archaeology and uh, he is an archaeologist uh, who is also an expert in languages, ancient languages. He wrote the the book, The World's Oldest Alphabet. And uh, Dr. Petrovich, what um, what are some of the cutting-edge discoveries that have been made and that you're now uh, writing about uh, regarding uh, Moses and so forth? You know, it's interesting, Kevin. I was minding my own business uh, about five years ago, studying for my comprehensive exams for my Ph.D., and online looking for resources, and I stumbled into evidence that connects to the 10th plague on Egypt, the physical evidence consisting especially of animal remains, the exact animals we read about in Exodus 11 and 12, uh, goats, sheep, cattle, and dogs. And they were buried in mass. They were buried in the palatial district, which is the place of the palaces of the Egyptian king, and they were buried at the exact time of the Exodus Pharaoh. Whoa! Uh, about eleven, yeah, about eleven years ago, I wrote um, the most comprehensive study ever made on the Exodus Pharaoh, and in um, that article. Uh, now, there's a lot of controversy. National, there's a lot of controversy over who the Exodus Pharaoh is. Is that correct? There is, and all of that can be solved. And there, Kevin, there is no other candidate in the in the second millennium BC who meets all of the autobiographical requirements of the Exodus Pharaoh, except Amenhotep II. Not one other Pharaoh meets all of those requirements. And if you believe... And this is in your book? ...that the Bible... Uh, actually, this is in my, my journal article that I published uh, in 2006 in the Master Seminary Journal that's available um, to be downloaded for free from my academia.edu webpage. Okay, I'm, I'm writing that so down you, right now. I'm going to go get that. Yes, you can, you can read all about that in there. And essentially, um, I outline a number of the criteria there that, uh, that m- must be true of 
the Exodus Pharaoh, and then I matched those up against Amenhotep II. What are some of those criteria? Well, um, he cannot have been the firstborn from his uh, mother's womb. He he cannot have had a son who ruled who was the firstborn. His father must have been on the throne for over 40 years. So these are some of the requirements that had to be true. Of the Exodus Pharaoh. Now, people have said and, that it was Ramses who was the Exodus Pharaoh. Is that true? Is is that? I mean, it's obviously not true according to your research, but uh, hasn't that been widely um, kind of published that that Ramses was the Pharaoh? Yes, and Kevin. Ultimately, um, Cecil B. DeMille and Disney are responsible for making this the household idea oh, uh, within Christian <laughs> homes. But, but ultimately, that goes back to the work done by um, um, an archaeologist of the 20th century named William Albright. And Albright was very popular, very winsome, and he was very powerful, his personality. So um, much of what he um, propagated, much of what he taught and, and published on was accepted as true, in many cases, uncritically, and this is one of those. And, that, and at that time, the idea of a 13th century um, exodus became very popular. But it doesn't match at all whatsoever with biblical chronology, with careful, tight uh, exegesis of the biblical passages that refer uh, to the timing of the exodus. So it doesn't work in that century at all. Moreover, uh, Ramses II absolutely does not work because his father did not rule for 40 years, and it's he who had the reign that was over 40 years. So mm-hmm. he automatically, just on one criterion alone, is eliminated from the realm of possibility if you're going to say that the Bible is correct in all of its historical requirements for the Exodus Pharaoh's life. Now, there's a lot of people out there, uh, secular uh, archaeologists, who argue that the, the biblical chronology is not correct. Um, how are they responding to the evidence that you and others are providing uh, to support the biblical chronology? Well, their favorite tactic, Kevin, is avoidance. Um, I have um, sent my article that that I published in 2006 on the Exodus Pharaoh to all of the best and most well-known Christian scholars in the area of the study of the connection between Egypt and Israel, and none of them have even acknowledged my work in their publications, not even to refute it or attempt to refute it. And it tells you a lot when a scholar literally will not deal with the evidence that you present. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's frustrating. You've got to be really mm-hmm. uh, bothered by that. Well, certainly, yeah, you know, in my younger days, I was much more bothered than I am nowadays. I almost take it as a compliment nowadays. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's what's happening, Kevin, with my publication of this book, uh, The World's Oldest Alphabet. And I'll, I'll tell you the story behind this. Yeah. Um, for, for over 150 years, scholars have attempted to identify the correct Semitic language of the, or that, that is attested in the oldest alphabetic inscriptions in the world. And these all are located in Sinai and Egypt. And actually, the oldest ones are, are in Egypt. Um, and, uh, and so they've not been able to identify which Semitic language this is. And... In my research, when I stumbled into evidence for the 10th plague in Egypt, which I knew to be at the right place at the right time, the right site where Jacob moved his family, which became known as Biblical Ramses, um, then 
I started to uh, research more, and I asked the question, you know, if there's evidence of Israelites there at the time of the Exodus, if they were there for, according to uh, Exodus 12, 40, and 41, for 430 years to the very day, then there must be more evidence that they existed there. So that put me on a research, I call it an archaeological trail that I followed. Yeah. And and as I refer to it, that led me into one gold mine after another, including identifying in Middle Egyptian, that's hieroglyphic, Egyptian inscriptions, the, the biblical characters of Joseph, his two eldest sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, Manasseh being the older, um, and Manasseh's obscure son, Shechem. All four of those biblical characters I've identified in Middle Egyptian inscriptions. And this is all going into my second book, which I'm finishing now. That's, well, that's like, so amazing. Like, I, I just—that's so incredible to me that you are finding this this stuff. Uh, uh, how confident are you that this—I mean, is this is this questionable, or is this—this this is just real solid evidence that, the, that this is who it's referring to? This is as solid as concrete, Kevin. And once the book is, is published, I'm 100% convinced that anybody— who is objective and who is willing to accept that these were historical figures um, will be able to look at the evidence and they say and, and say there's no way that we can refute this. I'm I'm 100 sure because this is huge portions of the Bible that um, people have been disputing for a long time. I mean, uh, you look at Jesus and all the evidence we have from history for what's recorded in the Gospels and what's recorded in Acts. And generally speaking, people don't dispute that these are historical records. But you get back to Moses and the Exodus and these things, and people for a long time have said, uh, no, this can't be real, it's made up, And but you're, you're finding evidence that confirms the truth of this history as well. That's right, and in most of the world's leading universities nowadays, and I just recently graduated from one, the, what's called the flagship University of Canada, um, what's being taught there is that all of the biblical story of the 430-year sojourn of the Israelites in Egypt, it's all a grand scheme that's nothing more than mythical. Why? Because we have no archaeological evidence. And my first book and my second book are going to take that argument and literally destroy it. Oh, I love it. Man, you're my hero, Doug. <laughs> my my guest today is Dr. Petrovich, and I. Uh, this is one of the areas that I am just so excited about. I love it. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some more stuff that Dr. Petrovich is working on, some movies, uh, a movie that's coming up uh, potentially, and uh, some other stuff he's doing. And uh, stay with us. Very, very amazing, cutting-edge information in archaeology. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. 
This is Throughout All Ages Ministry with Joe and Stacy. We would like to equip you to share the gospel with confidence in a biblical and effective way. We would like to teach you through the proclamation of the gospel. Whether you're the skeptic, God who created you said that he has made himself known to you so that you are without excuse. One-on-one evangelism. How do you think you can get to heaven? I've never really thought about it, but I've always thought of, you know, doing good. For more information, go to throughoutallages.com, like us on Facebook, or visit us at YouTube at Throughout All Ages. When you need tires or service, count on Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service in Oceanside for a full range of affordable options in all the brands you trust. See their great customer reviews and special offers online. Hours Tuesday through Friday, 7.30 to 5.30, and Saturdays, 7.30 to 5. Call Dan and his team at 760-439-1631. Conover Tires, Wheels, and Service, 2405 Oceanside Boulevard in Oceanside, 760-439-1631. Do you have one-button espresso machines in your home or business? They make delicious coffee drinks, but they're not maintenance-free. Express Fix Coffee is San Diego's source for coffee and espresso machine repair, sales, and service. Call Dave Martin at Express Fix Coffee for new and used espresso machines, repairs, parts, and accessories. They'll save you time and money. Call Express Fix Coffee at 619-867-3853. Learn more at ExpressFixCoffee.com. There's got to be more than going back and forth from doing right to doing wrong. Cause we were taught that's who we are. Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. And uh, if you've missed any segments of this current show, I highly recommend you uh, go back and check it out. You can find us on iTunes. We're also on YouTube. If you wanna uh, if you like watching me talk in the studio here, my guest, Dr. Petrovich, isn't in the studio with me, but uh, but uh, anyway. You can check us out on YouTube. You can also pick up a recording on my website, too, educateforlife.org. Dr. Petrovich uh, recently wrote The World's Oldest Alphabet, and um, he's basically uh, really giving hard factual evidence that the biblical record is true and that all that's been published for, I don't know, the past 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years um, has been false, uh, just people saying that the biblical record's made up, that it's fictional, that it's not true. Um, and this is taught in universities all over all over the world, sadly. But um, the real evidence, when you get down to it, uh, proves again the Bible is validated once again. This happens over and over again. And um, we just have people like Dr. Petrovich to thank for his hard work in this area. And uh, Dr. Petrovich, you, you do have a, another film that you're working on, is that right? Yes, Kevin. In fact, um, in a little over a week, I'll be flying to Minneapolis to meet with um, someone that probably most of your listeners will will have heard about, uh, Tim Mahoney, who um, put out a film a few years ago uh, called Patterns of Evidence, where he examined the Israelite exodus. Yeah, I watched that movie. That that movie really uh, blew me away too. They, especially when they uh, he showed that uh, Joseph, what looked like Joseph's tomb. Right, and I would say that was incorrect uh, as far as uh, Joseph's tomb. Joseph was not buried at Avaris. He was buried at Dashua, which I'll, I'll be proving in my second book. Okay. But that just goes to show you that um, um, uh, not every method uh, of applying archaeology is going to lead you to the right conclusions. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in the first film, there were essentially three views that were put on trial 
the late Exodus view, the early Exodus view, and the view I call historical reconstructionism, which David Roll is behind. And the reference that you made was, was a statement uh, that, that uh, David Roll um, made in the film and incorrectly identifies Joseph's tomb. But he does have, you know, there's always a good side. He has the right site. That site, the site of Avaris, is biblical Ramses where Jacob uh, moved his family in 1876 B.C. Now, um, my question is, why, why have we not heard of this before? I, I know that people were trapped in a paradigm that, uh, like you said, um, Dr. Albright had set up and basically, you know, kind of closed people's minds to the idea that there was this evidence. But if I were an archaeologist who was a biblical archaeologist, I mean, I would be looking, like you said, for the evidence of the plagues. I'd be looking for the evidence of the Israelites in Egypt. Uh, I'd be looking for you know, whatever I could to verify the, the, the credit. Is, is there not a lot of Bible-believing Christians within archaeology uh, that study this, or what, what's going on? Well, the problem, Kevin, is, um, okay, you, you, you're doing well to find people who, are, who handle the Bible well in the original languages. And, mm-hmm. and my former field, I'm an, I'm an interdisciplinarian. I was a seminary professor for years. I taught the biblical languages. I actually taught 25 different courses in Russia, Whoa. including every, um, every level of, of biblical Hebrew and biblical Greek. And it's hard to find someone who studies those uh, fields very carefully and comes up with the right conclusions, the right interpretations. Mm. Then it's also hard to come up with those who study archaeology well and come up with the right interpretations. And it's even harder to come up with people who know how to do both, who are trained well in both, that can match the two, wed the two together, and come up with very sound, very careful conclusions that reflect the evidence and um, are faithful to a, you know, a position on the Bible that we call an inerrantist position, where yeah. we believe that the original manuscripts of the Bible were without error as they were originally written. Now, um, when you say you have evidence of Joseph and Moses and all, and you said, now, is this in Egyptian hieroglyphics, or is this in, what, what languages are you finding these references to these biblical characters? Well, uh, with, with Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Manasseh's son, Shechem, and by the way, it's very possible that I've also identified uh, Jacob, in fact, very likely that I've identified Jacob in the inscriptional record, too. But uh, with all of those, it's Middle Egyptian hieroglyphic inscriptions, which very few Christians have studied uh, this language. It's, it's the language of the first minor of my PhD, so it's one that I've studied with great care. Um, but as far as um, uh, what you were referring to earlier, uh, the, the references to uh, in, in inscriptions such as Moses, Asnath, the wife of Jacob, uh, the wife of Joseph, and a man named Ahisamach, the father of Aholiab, he's one of the two men that God appointed to build the tabernacle. All three of those biblical figures I have identified in Hebrew inscriptions. That It's all documented in my book, uh, The World's Oldest Alphabet. And basically what happened, Kevin, is as I was studying and finding, stumbling into all these references to uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Joseph, I came in contact with... Um, some inscriptions written by Manasseh, believe it or not, and, and I can prove this, and I will in my second book. Manasseh, Joseph's um, son, right? Joseph's, right, Joseph's son, Manasseh. So he lived in the second half, the, well, the first and second half of the 
19th century BC. And in one of the uh, inscriptions that he wrote, um, at the very bottom, in fact, he ends uh, these these inscriptions, in, in these come in sequence year after year, he ends them by drawing a picture, putting himself on a donkey with a young boy to his right and a young boy to his left. And um, he, in one of them, he identifies himself by name and his Egyptian name and his title. And that's what helps me to connect him with his brother, Ephraim, in the, at the site of Avaris. But in, in one of the inscriptions that he writes, one of the last ones, he writes over top of this picture as the caption, Six Levantines, and Levantine is a person who lives in the Levant. The Levant is ancient Israel, slash Canaan, Phoenicia, and Syria. So six Levantines, six people from the Levant, and then he says, Hebrews of Bethel, the beloved. Bethel, of course, is mm. the hometown yeah. of Jacob before they moved to, to Egypt. That's right. And in that inscription where it says the word Hebrews, Instead of a fully Egyptian, Middle Egyptian hieroglyphic inscription there, there are two anomalous pictographs. One of them is a Canaanite, what we call a Canaanite syllabic, that's a syllable in Canaanite. The other is a proto-consonantal letter. It's the oldest attested alphabetical letter we have in the world. And it's right there in the word Hebrews. It makes the B sound for Hebrew. And that is what told me that the oldest alphabet that nobody's been able to decipher is Hebrew, because we have a Hebrew, Manasseh, the son of Joseph, who wrote that inscription, and who wrote that oldest alphabetic letter. So then I studied the corpus of inscriptions that haven't been translated with this oldest uh, alphabet in the world, from the perspective that this is Hebrew, because a Hebrew would have been the one writing it. And doing that, I was able to solve the disputed letters. There are some letters that are disputed as to what sound they make, and other letters are secure. Everybody, all the scholars agree. Hmm. So the disputed letters I solved with the living laboratory of these inscriptions, knowing they're Hebrew. And by process of elimination, I was easily able to determine that, identify all of the original 22 alphabetical letters, and then start translating all of these inscriptions. Well, not all of them, but about um, uh, 15 of them I translated. So are and you... in those inscriptions, that's where I found three that name Moses Ahisamach, and Asnath, the wife of Joseph. Wow. When we come back, uh, Dr. Doug Petrovich, he's an expert on ancient languages. He re- just recently uh, wrote a book, The World's Oldest Alphabet. I highly recommend you check it out. And um, we're going to continue to talk about it. We don't have uh, much much left to go here, uh, but very interesting stuff, proving that the biblical historical record is accurate. It is not fictional, it's not mythical, and the, the characters are real people who really lived And that means a lot when it comes to trusting in the Bible as the Word of God. We'll be right back. For 36 years, Fastlane Kayaking has helped people like you experience everything that's great about San Diego. Fastlane makes fishing and water sports fun and easy. Hobie Cat kayaks feature a popular pedal system, not paddles, keeping your hands free as you fish. You no longer need to tow and gas up a boat to experience great San Diego fishing. Call or come in for your no-charge demo ride, 619-222-0766. FastlaneSailing.com at Dana Landing Marina across from SeaWorld, 619-222-0766. 
Hi, this is Jason Hall, president of Team Home Loans, a branch of Synergy One Lending. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Kevin Conover for the profound impact he's had on mine and my wife's spiritual life, as well as being an incredible teacher while our kids were his students. His knowledge and passion have taught us all how important it is to be defenders of our faith. It's our honor and privilege to support Kevin and his show. It is our sincere hope and prayer that you will continue to learn to be defenders of your faith through Kevin's radio show and through his Educate for Life teaching. Thank you, Kevin, from the Hall family and Team Home Loans. Hi, I'm Marissa Conover, and I would love to help you buy or sell your home. I've worked as a realtor for more than 13 years, and as a San Diego native, my passion and experience will help make your move as peaceful as can be. Call me at 619-251-1577. That's 619-251-1577. Or visit conoverhomes.com. I will cast my cares on you. You're the anchor of my hope, the only one who's in control. I will cast Welcome to Educate for Life. I'm your host, Kevin Conover. My website's educateforlife.org. We're on our last segment here with Dr. Doug Petrovich. Fantastic interview. And uh, maybe we'll have you on again, Doctor, uh, in the future uh, after your upcoming film is out. Uh, I'd love to hear more. And and I'm sure, would you say, uh, I mean, you, you've discovered so much recently. Do you think there's still a lot more out there to discover? Uh, there is a lot more out there, Kevin. And what I'm hoping to do is to recruit uh, a generation of soldiers who can be part of the effort because there are so few of us who are doing cutting-edge work in this area. And it, it requires a great deal of commitment to study mm. the Bible very carefully in the original languages, um, to study in a... In a uh, Bible college and or seminary, and then to study the ancient uh, Near Eastern uh, history, which yeah, includes I was, languages and archaeology. I, I recently graduated from Biola um, in the a master's degree in apologetics, and the one of my professors there was com- was uh, not complaining, but he was uh, lamenting the fact that he said there are so many ancient texts that have been uh, uncovered by archaeology. But there are so few people that have the knowledge to be able to read them and interpret them. Uh, is that your experience also? Absolutely, Kevin. The world's museums and university libraries are filled with inscriptions uh, that have not been translated, that can be, in most cases, be translated. All we need is people who are qualified enough and have the zeal to do it. And those can be published, and that can add to our body of knowledge so we can learn more about the ancient world. Mm. And if the Bible's true, I mean, all this, all, all it's going to do is continue to confirm what the, the Bible has written down. Absolutely. And with, with careful research, uh, you know, and anybody, Kevin, can go out there and, and criticize uh, something related to biblical history, but usually it's out of ignorance. Well, in my research that I've done, if I'm studying it to a careful, a deep enough level, and I'm careful enough with, with the biblical text and with the ancient historical um, documents or, or evidence, um, I've not come up with one convincing argument that shows something in biblical history is actually wrong. Not one. Wow. It, with as many accusations as, as are floating around out there, not one I can confirm as being um, non-factual. That's so cool. You know, um, I 
you, the movie you're coming up. So Patterns of Evidence was a great movie. I thought it was fantastic. A lot of uh, amazing stuff in there. And then you're work, working with Tim Mahoney on another film. And um, I have you heard of the movie? You probably have. The Search for the Real Mount Sinai? Yes. Uh, so I'm curious. So is this uh, the, the new movie that you're working on with uh, Tim? Is that uh, related to some of the arguments they make in that movie also? Yes. In fact, uh, the, the new movie will focus on the period of time from the moment the Israelites leave Egypt through the events that take place at Mount Sinai. So there will be the, the, the scrutinization of issues of, okay, what was the correct route for the exodus that mm-hmm. the Israelites would have taken? Um, where is the Mount Sinai where Moses and the Israelites uh, camped and received the law and so forth? And my role in the film mainly will be to answer the question, um, okay, we read about in Exodus 20 and the few chapters after that, that that God gave not only the Ten Commandments, but but numerous other laws to the Israelites, and it says that Moses wrote them down. Well, if Moses wrote them down, in what language did he write them? And of course, the Bible, you know, the the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, and everybody, nobody disputes that. But what language would Moses have written this in? And according to biblical proper biblical chronology, these events would have taken place in 1446 B.C. And, um, and so I will be answering the question, uh, in what language were these written? In what script was this written? And of course, this all goes back to the research in my book that's documented, um, showing that we have not only uh, Hebrew inscriptions that date to 1446 B.C. and before, but we have the actual mention of biblical characters obscure figures such as Joseph's wife and, and the father of the, one of the two men appointed to build the tabernacle, and then, of course, uh, Moses, which I never expected to see an inscription uh, that dates to the lifetime of Moses because the Israelites were in Egypt uh, so, so shortly after Moses became kind of a, a big celebrity there. Mm-hmm. So it had to be after the time he returned from his, from his uh, exile, if you will, in Midian, uh, from that moment until the time of the Exodus itself, which is probably probably less than a year in time. So in that short window of time, that one window of time, there is an inscription that was written by a Hebrew in Hebrew language that mentions Moses by name. And uh, and, and this is one of the phenomenal discoveries that, that God just dropped into my lap. That's so great. Yeah. And so uh, I'm I'm very excited for this upcoming film. And uh, I'd love to help uh, promote that too. That's just so such great stuff. So, uh, Doctor Petrovich, um, if people are more interested in the kind of stuff that you're talking about, uh, where can they get um, you know your journal articles, your resources? Where can they get more information that they they want to dig into? Certainly, Kevin. The the best place to go to is uh, my webpage on academia.edu. Basically, academia.edu is the Facebook of the scholarly world, and I've lo- uploaded. Uh, all of my published articles there. I have references to my book there and how you can uh, buy a copy of it through Carta in Jerusalem. Um, and uh, and basically, uh, and you can even get a hold of me. My email address is on that website too. So if any of your listeners would like to get a hold of me, that would be the best way to do it. Okay, so academia.edu. And what do they do? Just type in your name or is the whole site about you? Yeah, yeah. Basically, if, if they will Google uh, academia.edu and then my name, then certainly uh, probably the first uh, hit that comes up will be 
my page on academia.edu. Okay, that's great. Okay, fantastic. And um, we're almost out of time here, but uh, before we go, uh, would you say, do you think that there's evidence that goes even farther back, uh, like that predates um, Moses and Joseph and goes back to you know, Jacob or Isaac or, or even, you know, Abraham and so forth. Is there, is there possible, um, stuff out there relating to them or is that too far back? Um, certainly you're going to have trouble finding anything with Isaac or Abraham. That's going to be a monumental task. But, um, in my second book, I will be one of the inscriptions that I'll translate in the book. I'll probably put it in an, in an appendix, but it's an inscription that dates to year five of Sesostris III, which, when you synchronize biblical history with ancient Egyptian history, happens to be five years into the famine. We know, we, we know about the prophesied seven years of abundance mm-hmm. under Jacob's administration, Joseph's administration in Egypt, and then seven years of famine. Well, five years into the famine, that inscription was written, and basically it's an agreement um, between the Hebrews there and, and the Egyptians there at that site of biblical Ramses. So that inscription, um, almost, it's it, it certainly, and I will be proving in my book, it certainly refers to Joseph, and it probably refers to Jacob as well. Um, and all of that will be made clear um, in my second book. Well, that's great. Well, uh, you know, I'll be praying for, for everything you guys are doing and uh, just that you have the resources and the, uh, the manpower to get it done, because it's a, a monumental task that you guys are undertaking. It is, Kevin, and it's, it's at the same time a thrill to be a part of and, and to know that God has put you on the cutting edge um, with this main goal in mind. Mm. Uh, the main goal for me is to make the name of God great on the earth. That's so great. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Dr. Petrovich. It's been a big blessing. My pleasure. Okay, well, I look forward to talking to you in the future. And uh, for those of you who didn't get to hear the whole thing, please check us out on YouTube, iTunes. Please check out Dr. Doug Petrovich, academia.edu. Type in his name, all kinds of resources there. We'll be back next Saturday with another uh, phenomenal guest. And uh, I hope that your Saturday goes fantastic today and that you can... uh, If you haven't already, please put your faith in Jesus Christ and in his word. Um, There's nothing better you can do with your life. God bless you. Have a great Saturday. Did you miss part of today's program? Don't worry, we're committed to helping you get the info you need. Okay, that was dumb. But for real, visit EducateForLife.com for podcasts and video recordings of the show and to sign up for the School of Unshakable Faith. Leave us your comments, compliments, questions, or concerns at 800-243-9719 or email KevCon at EducateForLife.com. That's K-E-V-C-O-N at EducateForLife.com. You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. But that's all.